Hi, and welcome to Alkaline Unplugged podcast, episode number four. I am Erin Perzuski, founder and CEO of Alkaline, and I'm here with my podcast partner and master instructor, Kathy Purnell. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. Today, we are here with Lindsay Hutchinson, former master instructor at Alkaline. Lindsay earned a degree in communications and public relations, as well as a minor in kinesiology. She has 20 years of experience in group exercise, functional movement, and personalized physical fitness programs for clients. Lindsay recently graduated from Bowman College, where she has received a nutrition consultant certificate. She is dedicated and passionate about healthy food choices for the whole family, healthy cooking, and teaching people how to eat and move for whole body wellness. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. So fun to be with you ladies again. Um, so tell us what you've been up to since you stopped teaching at Alkaline. Well, I decided to um, pursue another strong interest. I, I was sad to, to leave teaching. Um, but I wanted to go and pursue a holistic nutrition certificate at Bowman College, um, which is in Berkeley, California, not too far from where I live. Um, I discovered I could go and actually sit in class with peers and teachers and then get back home before my kids got home from school. So I went for it. How has it been juggling your new passion around nutrition consulting with your busy life of a mom of three? Well, um, it's been, it's been fun actually learning a lot of the things I learned in school that I, that I really wanted to learn about. I've been doing a lot of my own self-study for many years, probably the whole time I've been, um, or I was teaching at Alkaline. Um, and so now, yeah, I think finding that balance, I mean, my motto, my, my family motto and my personal motto is mostly around balance. Um, you know, bringing, bringing what I've learned into the home and teaching it to my kids and, but also remembering to stay grounded and balanced in my approach to, to food and wellness and, um, but also teaching them, you know, why, why I wanted to learn these things and why we eat well and, um, to feel good, you know, instead of just coming in and, and saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't eat this, don't, don't eat that, but to talk about, you know, the beauty in eating well and moving and exercising and those kind of things. So keeping the balance, um, and then also, you know, keeping things going at home because being married to a busy man and with work. So just, yeah, keeping everything balanced. (laughs) Yeah. At Alkaline, we are all about balance and balance, not only in terms of, like you said, your day-to-day life, but in your biochemistry and how you fuel your body. And over the course of years, as we all know, there've been so many food trends or if you Mm -hmm. will, I hate the word diet because it includes the word die. And I think that's never a good thing. (laughs) But when we talk about food trends, you know, we've, we've seen the fat free trend. We've seen the paleo trend, the keto trend. Um, What is your take on those eating programs? Yeah, good question. Um, And I agree with you. I don't like the word diet at all. Um, I think it's, it has a really negative connotation. So 
Um, and I, and I don't like labeling. I don't like any of the labels really. I, I see the value in the paleo diet and the ketogenic diet, um, and maybe even a vegetarian diet. Um, and, and, and everyone's different. And so different things work for different people. Um, but you know, I think those are extreme cases where, uh, like a paleo diet may, may be a good thing for somebody who has gone 20 years of eating the standard American diet and they really are wanting to revamp their health. And, um, and, and in order to do that, they, they maybe need to go to something where they're cutting out all of these food groups and restarting completely and then adding back in one at a time, which is paleo diet is cutting out certain foods and then, and then, um, eventually adding back in, um, if you want, I mean, some people stay on a paleo diet forever because they feel well on it, but again, everyone's different. And when a paleo diet may work great for you, Kathy, whereas Aaron, it might not work for you. Um, same with ketogenic diet and, and even a vegetarian diet. Some people do well on a vegetarian diet. Um, so it just depends on who you are and what what feels good. I always go back to how do, how do you feel eating this way? You know, really take a look inside and see how you feel. Listen to your body and and um, and then go from there. Yes, food is medicine, and it's funny. I can honestly say that I've I've followed or dabbled in many different food trends. I did the whole fat free thing, and um, sure, I think if you eliminate one source of nutrition whether it's a food group or fats or whatever, you might lose, you might lose weight. You might notice that number on the scale, but is it really um, providing that medicinal quality that food really needs to provide for us? So, right. And then fat, the fat free thing, I will say, um, I don't agree with that. I think that was something that, and I think we'll talk about this later on um, in the podcast, but um, I think that, that that's eliminating a whole macronutrient. Um, and we have three macronutrients in our diet and that's eliminating one whole macronutrient, which can be, can be very not non-beneficial to your health if you go long-term that way. So I think a lot of people have realized that after eating a, eating a fat-free diet for 20 years, more years. So what are the other two macronutrients? I should know that. Yeah, no, it's okay. Or maybe not. So the macronutrients are fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Yeah. yeah. And then there's many micronutrients as well. So yeah, it's interesting you say that because the fat-free cut out fat and now some of these like keto are cutting out the carbohydrates, right? Mm -hmm. So it gets mm -hmm. back to like mm -hmm. these three things exist for a reason. Exactly. You need to have some balance of all of them, right? You can't yeah. go extreme one way or the other. And I do think your body re will respond to change, but the question is, is it sustainable or is it good for you yeah. long-term? And that's, you know, it's our responsibility to, to watch our own bodies and to look at that because like you said, you may lose weight quickly or you may, you actually may feel great. Um, and I, and I keep throwing out the vegetarian diet and not to, you know, bash it or anything, but if you, even if you eat vegetarian for a month, two months, you, you might feel great. Cause actually what that does, we, in school, we learned about it as a cleansing diet because it, when you're taking out the fat and protein that can be harder to digest, you're cleansing your body. So you do feel good temporarily, but there are people that have been on a vegetarian diet for 10, 20 years that then find out that many years later that they are actually really deficient in certain nutrients. So you do have to be your own advocate. You have to really be looking at your, your 
mineral levels, your nutrient levels as you go. If you're eating a certain way or you're cutting out a certain any food group or specific food. So I often think about juice cleanses and I think, you know, that definitely had its day and it Mm -hmm. certainly can go to storefronts that that's what they offer. Mm -hmm. And I have to imagine that, yes, you might be getting some of the nutritional components from whatever the vegetable or fruit that is that you're consuming, but you lose the fiber, Mm -hmm. right? So what's your take on a juice cleanse? Yeah, again, um, temporarily, maybe maybe for a certain person who needs, I'm trying to think of an example, um, someone that has some type of, you know, um, autoimmune disease or they um, are having a really hard time. Let's say someone is post-surgery. That's probably a good example. And they're having a hard time, um, you know absorbing nutrients or digesting fats and proteins. They might, they may, they may want to start slowly on a juice cleanse or a broth, um, diet, chicken broth or bone broth or, um, a mineral broth to eventually get to a point where they can eat foods again. So in that case, yes. Um, but yeah, yes, you are taking out some of the fiber when you're just juicing, you're not getting the whole, you know, the whole plant. So Plus, um, that's not sustainable. That would never be sustainable for me. I like to chew on something. Man, yeah. I want to crunch. Well, there's that Why too. Why are they yeah. so popular? I mean, is, are they popular because people think they're just going to lose I weight? Think, I think it's a quick fix. I think yeah. I think our culture mm-hmm. is wired to, you know, if there's a pill that's going to help me with this, I'm going to take it. Or if there's a fad diet out there that mm-hmm. I'm instantly going to lose the weight or my skin will be glowing or whatever mm-hmm. it's touted to, you know, help with. I think people are looking for that quick fix. Yeah, and people want if if it's a if it's being talked about and there's a big buzz around um around it like the celery juice craze. I mean, people, you know, like you said, they want to just hear what works and try it themselves. I personally, I like to know. I'm a systems person. Like, and I I want to know how things work. And I think that's why I got into this um, holistic nutrition, functional nutrition, if you if you will, because you you go to where like the root of what's going on, and then you start there, and then you move from that. So I like knowing, well, why, why is this issue going on? And then what, what could have caused that? And it, I mean, maybe it's the, I'm a detail person and I do get caught in the weeds sometimes on that kind of thing. But, um, I like to know the why, you know, behind it. I'm not just going to take something that someone says and, but, but a lot of people are that way, you know, and it, we get busy. I mean, think of our lives. We're busy. We're, um, there's so much going on. It's like, we want, we want the quick thing. Yeah. So what do yeah. you, um, think about intermittent fasting? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think it's good. I think it's, um, it's something that again, we, we're in a society where we can, we have food always available at our fingertips all the time. So, um, so to me, it's good to see that you can actually go, you know, eight hours and, and we all sleep at night. So most of us will go about that, that long anyway, without food. Um, but that your body needs that time to digest and assimilate nutrients. And, um, I don't know if you've heard the term autophagy, but that's your body's ability to, um, to recreate cells and, so it needs that time to, to work. And so the, the point in intermittent, intermittent fast is to give your body that, that time. So, um, 
And is the eight hours you're sleeping considered that intermittent yes, fasting? So it is. And then some people even go longer and there's a buildup too. You could go eight hours and then the next time you could try the 10 hours where you stop at, you know, seven o'clock at night and then you, and then longer. I mean, people do a longer fast. Some people will stop at seven and then not eat again until 10 the next day or 12, however many hours that is. But, um, there's a, there's a doctor by the name of, uh, Dr. Sarah Gottfried. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she is a, a medical doctor. I think, I think OBGYN by trade, but she's, she's a big, um, proponent of fasting and, and she, she's an expert in women's health and, uh, hormones and, and she's written about a lot about intermittent fasting, but, um, I like, I like, you know, to hear what she has to say, I guess, personally for her, it's been really good for her. So, and it's, great for people that have diabetes or obesity that, um, just to take that time to let your body do what it needs to do. Cause we get, we get to where we have, we feel like we have to eat all the time, you know, throughout the day when we really don't. So, yeah. So at Alkaline, we have a program called Nourish, which, um, the purpose of Nourish and Aaron can jump into is to eliminate the, the most highly inflammatory foods to your body and note how you feel and then reintroduce and, and just to, because everybody's biochemistry is slightly different. Um, how would, are there other things you would recommend in terms of how, how a person decides what is the best way of nourishing their body for them? Because we're all unique and Good question. I think, I think that's the best way. Like if there's something going on in your body, you know, something's wrong off. Um, the best way, maybe even better than testing, um, is like an elimination diet to take the things out that you think are the offending foods, which the high inflammatory foods are, you know, gluten and dairy and soy, corn, you know, sugar. Um, and then, and then citrus can even be troublesome for some people, but to take all the things out you think could be causing it and then to add back in and problem is it's, it's really hard to do. I mean, you have to be motivated enough to do that, but that would be the most accurate way to figure it out. And a lot of people ask me that question, like, how can I, how can I figure out if this dairy is bothering me, you know? And, and, um, and I'll say, you know, you just want to take it out and you have to give it some time, you know, you can't just take it out for three days and then, um, so I think that's the, the best way to figure it out because food sensitivity tests are tricky, you know, and, um, they don't always show you what you need. And also there's a lot of new research on the gut microbiome and the effect your gut dysbiosis has on the way you're reacting to food. So you may not really have a dairy sensitivity, but, but at the time of testing, your gut may have been in a situation where it wasn't absorbing the dairy well, and therefore it showed up as a high sensitivity food. But, and then people say, oh, I can't have dairy for the rest of my life. But the truth is, you know, it might be it might've been the condition of your gut at that time. So there's, that's, there's a lot of new research coming on, coming out about the gut and food sensitivities. And you yeah, know, we're, it's interesting. We, I did, um, nourish and eliminated dairy and found for myself that I felt so much better not consuming dairy products. And then I did the food sensitivity test and it came back mildly you know, it was a mild mm -hmm. sensitivity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking if I were still consuming dairy, would it have come back high or was it just 
it's, it's so funny yeah, because it funny always reason, comes yeah. back high with whatever I'm eating at the time. And so again, I think I've always believed to have, I believe I have absorption issues. I've just had a cranky gut my whole life mm-hmm. and I've done the best way I've figured out what does and doesn't work is trial and error, just mm-hmm. cutting mm-hmm. it out, reintroducing it. Of course, the quality of what I'm consuming matters. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever say I don't eat gluten at all, or I don't eat mm-hmm. you know, soy or whatever, but I choose to consume it in higher quality, less processed forms. Mm-hmm. Like a, we were talking about, you know, sourdough bread from the bakery versus like a wonder bread that's been sitting on the shelf for three weeks or mm-hmm. three years or however long. Yeah. A Twinkie that has a shelf life of infinity. Um, but yeah, when I do the sensitivity test, the things that I consume a lot, like nuts or seeds or whatever, always come up high. And I always wonder if it's because I'm just not absorbing it or... And the things that I have cut out almost completely don't show up at all. Well, I think it might be, um, I think the test that they run is an Ig test, which is a, it, it'll detect, you know, immediate reactions to foods. And then there are other, there are other tests you can get taken, get taken, but your body creates antibodies, you know, to a certain food, if, if, especially if you're consuming a lot of it. And so it picks that up. So that's what I mean. It's tricky food sensitivity tests are tricky. And I really, I kind of want to dive more into that issue because it, it, it's become a bigger issue with it. I mean, among, among kids, I mean, my kid, my son's, he has three of his best friends have a peanut allergy. And when I was a kid, I don't, I don't know if I knew anybody with a peanut allergy. So um, again, back to the gut and what they're finding out about diversity and uh, fibers in the gut and, you know, the intestinal permeability, which is leaky gut, all those things there's, there's more research coming out about what's going on and how does, how is that affecting the whole system in your immune system? Because you're, you know, a lot of your immune system is in your gut. So it's definitely relate, related and very interesting. Erin, you mentioned quality of food, you know, making sure that you're picking the best quality of whatever you're consuming. Um, and of course, you know, you can walk down the produce section and you can see the organic versus non-organic. Um, do you subscribe to to buying 100% organic everything? Or are there certain foods that people should be watching for yeah, to be sure question. that they make, you know, get those in organic form? So what was cool about this program that I did in, at Bowman, um, they were, they, they talked a lot of it, a lot about quality of food and, um, and, and it absolutely makes a difference. Um, in fact, I would say that's one of the biggest changes I've made at home is making sure my animal products are high, very high quality, really important, you know, grass-fed beef and you know, pastured eggs. And um, and then the organic thing, yes, because, uh, but not everything. There's a, have you ever heard of the Clean 15? Yes. Or the, the Dirty, dirty dozen, dozen? The Dirty yeah. Dozen, yeah. So the environmental working group ewg.com and you can go on there and they'll they will put out a list of the clean 15 which are which are the produce items that should be okay purchasing non-organic and then they have the dirty dozen which you know are are the ones you want to look for organic so i try to i know it's something not like i look at the list every day but i try to stick with with those things, I think avocados are usually on the clean 15. They're usually okay to buy. Because they have a thick skin. Yeah. And you don't eat the skin. Right. Whereas like a berry yes. or an apple, you're eating the skin. Berries and, and apples are consuming. Mm-hmm, those yeah. are a big one. Um, yeah, it's important. However, there is like cross-contamination with um, pesticides that, you know, even if you have an organic farm that's next to a 
you know, the mental farm, it can get, you know, I mean, that's where I have to go back to my balance thing where I can't go crazy about, I have to just, you know what? It's okay. My kids have, you know, a cupcake or they have a piece of fruit with a, you know, that's non-organic. They're not going to die. Like, but to, as a general rule of thumb, uh, rule of thumb, yes, we try to buy organic produce and, um, you know, uh, dairy products. I mean, I was buying raw milk for a long time and got really expensive, but, um, yeah. And then back to the dairy quality of, I mean, the cheese, the quality of the cheese is really important. And, and, and if, and if you're sensitive to a cow cheese, cow's cheese, try like goat and sheeps are supposed to be really good alternatives if you like cheese. And, or I, I have a, at home right now, I have a raw, uh, organic raw cheddar. I mean, it is delicious. And people, some people think, ew, raw, that's disgusting. But, um, your body can absorb and process it better if it's in a raw form, then you could try it. So there's always options. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I mean, I'm very sensitive to dairy yeah. and I can have, I mean, we buy any dairy products from, yeah. a, you know, farmer's market type yeah. thing and I can do the raw, yeah. some of the raw cheeses or the yeah higher quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff. I think reading food labels is the key. And it's interesting mm-hmm. when I've traveled when I was in Italy a couple of years ago, I allowed myself to have mm-hmm. pasta and I allowed myself mm-hmm. to have cheese and I felt great. Like yeah. I didn't have any negative response, but if I were to order a plate of pasta here, my gut would be mm-hmm. feeling pretty nasty. Do you know so a really high percentage of people in Italy are celiac or no. gluten sensitive? Interesting. Yes. That whole theory of like, it's different there. I feel like the wheat mm-hmm. is probably a similar source worldwide. Huh. Yeah, they have apparently that it's a big um, problem, but I'm guessing less yeah. pres- preservative. Oh, everything has to be less. Yeah, that's for sure. I think the gluten thing is just that years ago, um, or you know, back in our ancestors' times, or uh, whenever they started to to harvest wheat and produce wheat, the gluten content was much lower than it is now. I mean, that's part of the problem. Um, I think it used to be something like four percent gluten and now it's like eight and sometimes 12%. So Interesting. yeah. And the gluten is the protein in the wheat that, that is really hard to digest. I mean, some people would say in my, in my world, some people would say nobody should eat, be eating it at all, because even if you don't feel bad on it, it causes in your gut lining, there's something called tight junctions or cell, you know, your, your gut lining is a one single layer of cells, very thin layer of cells. And, and, between these cells, there's things called tight junctions and they, they're connected by all the cells. So if you eat the weed, it causes these tight junctions to separate and then food particles get through to the bloodstream. And that's the leaky gut um, idea. And so the theory is that gluten causes that to happen depending on who you are. Like if you're a child and you're more resilient and you're, you're younger and healthier, those tight junctions can go back together quickly. But if you're an older individual, they may not, and then that may cause more issues. So that's kind of the idea around the problem with gluten. But yeah, and then there's also, you know, the preservatives and the, the pesticides. I mean, supposedly to harvest wheat quickly, they spray it with, sadly, with glyphosate and with chemicals to help grow it quickly and get it out faster. So, you know, you kind of have to watch what kind of grain products you're eating. So I have a funny story about... Um, pesticides. So I'm very um, particular, I would say, (laughs) about the (laughs) quality of um, what we eat. And I do like where 
you know, and I talk to my kids about it because they'll mm-hmm. say they I think they have an appreciation. Your kids are probably mm-hmm. similar. Like my my five year old says to me all the time every night we talk about our highs, lows, and what we're grateful for. And she says she's grateful for my healthy cooking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are and, you know, they'll ask to sometimes to do stuff like to go buy things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've explained to them that like we a lot of like our, you know, income and money is actually spent on food versus things right mm-hmm. and even sometimes when they want to go out to dinner I'm like I can make something healthier at home um anyway long story short I just ordered I made this huge meal for my sister this weekend for her birthday and there's a lot of different um food uh needs and across the group so it wasn't any one person but mm-hmm. I'm you know mostly gluten-free and mostly dairy-free and mostly you know whatever so I made a um I made an Asian uh, like lettuce cup thing with ground turkey and coconut aminos. And um, and I prepared this whole dinner and I got all the stuff from Good Eggs, which is a Bay Area local like farm farm to your door delivery service. And um, so we sat down and it was, you know, 14 or 15 people, a lot of picky eaters, kids and stuff. And nobody has ever, you know, everyone loves these lettuce cups. They're like P.F. Chang's inspired mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, we sat down and the kids were, this is really good. Like, they're all so happy. (laughs) Someone found a little tiny worm on their lettuce cup. (laughs) Added protein. Come on. (laughs) And proceeded to parade it around. It was like forks down. Everybody was so grossed out. And it's so funny. It was a little tiny. It wasn't even like, I can't even call it an inchworm. It was like a millimeter worm. This little tiny green fella. That, and I did, I washed the butter lettuce and everything, but it comes with dirt on it because it's mm-hmm. from the ground and it's not like if you buy produce that doesn't look pretty because it's not sprayed with a bunch of pesticides. And yeah. we were trying to explain if a, if a worm won't eat an apple, you shouldn't eat the apple either. You know, if it has that many pesticides that looks perfect and whatever, I thought, <laughs> oh, this backfired because... <laughs> Nobody appreciates. Yeah. I was proud of the worm. I was proud that, yeah, yeah that's right. I buy organic. <laughs> that worm like the yeah. lettuce cups just as much as the people. It's exactly. true. If you go to the farmer's market here and you buy the loose lettuce, loose greens, which I do often if I can get over there. Um, but they have little, some of them, some of the arugula has little tiny holes in it. And it looks like, you know, most, per, most people would say, well, I'm not buying this as, you know, critters have been eating it, but that's why, because it's organic yeah. and um and the the farmer will tell you oh yeah this is this is great it's nutritious this way there's nothing wrong with it you know yeah i know that's why i love good eggs though because it does come i i have found many little critters in my you know produce yeah you know it's bona fide organic mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah i stopped um uh the carrots i stopped like shaving them i as a kid my mom used to shave them you know to get all the dirt and the outer coat off but i just wash them real good. And then we eat them. And my kids will say, or they used to say, oh, they're still dirty. And I'm like, no, you know what? God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. That's what we say in our house. (laughs) That's good. How do you feel about dirt on your floors and your walls? Because that that dirt really (laughs) does hurt. a deep level. It's interesting. I feel like as a culture, um, yes, there's been these food fads and trends, but on a whole, I feel like people are much wiser in terms of the choices of foods that they make and also the abundance that we have readily in our grocery stores now, which is also awesome. It's funny. My, my three girls are grown and out of the house and living on their own now. 
And if I were to go back, I'm sure they could probably have a long list of things that they think I should have done different raising them. But the one thing I would have done differently um, would be what I offered them to eat, quite honestly. Uh, Thankfully, all three of them are very healthy, but I catered to that child diet. And I look around at my friends, my younger friends like y'all who have kids that are younger <laughs> and have exposed their kid, like from the get go, like Aaron, when you you take your girls to um, our favorite restaurant at Stanford shopping center, they're ordering the, you know, great wholesome option versus wanting chicken nuggets and fries. And yeah. And sometimes my kids have that stuff, but yeah, it's about in balance. general, I mean, it doesn't, they've recognized they're much more intuitive than I ever was. I mm. was a, um, like the scarcity queen, I would like hoard food. I don't know if that just came from growing up in a busy, um, a, a big house with like a lot going on, um, big family, or the incentive to get done first for the dessert. That was another issue. But <laughs> my kids are, um, I noticed like they, they stop eating when they're full. They, you know, sometimes they go to a birthday party and they say, no, I don't feel like cake today. I mean, I never, ever, ever said that they're mm-hmm. just they listen they're just much more well, you also intuitive. did raise them in the climate of you'll sit at this table until you finish your dinner clean yeah. plate clubs yeah that plate. was that generation yes that was yeah, how no, I, was I feel raised. like I agree I feel like Aaron's always done a really good job with her kids and and we you know I don't know if I can say the same about mine mine I mean before I mean, when they were born so they're 11 10 and 7 but when they were little little I was just trying to survive. I don't know if I was doing that, that good of a job, but, but I will say this, many parents will say, how do you, you know, how do you get your kids to eat well? And, um, and now, and now they all do, they do, but it's just, you know, I think you're setting an example by cooking at home and by letting them help you. And by, um, talking about why we eat, um, let's see, like, um, these artichokes because they have, you know, lots of folate or they have um, and we talk about why, you know, what does it do for your body? And, and then sometimes, you know, they'll still reject a certain vegetable, but I just, I just keep putting it on their plate as if it's, you know, I don't treat it as something like, Oh, they don't like Brussels sprouts. I'm not going to, I just, we all, the rest of us just still eat them and I still put them on everyone's plate. And then eventually they eat them. You know what? They're really hungry that night and they eat it. And, and some parents don't understand that that's possible, but but it is. I mean, now some kids and their are pickier. palates change too. Yeah. I feel like as kids get older, yeah. um, and that's why it's important to keep exposing them to different mm-hmm. different foods. And well, sometimes yeah. I hear people say, "How do you?" My kids won't eat that, but I think it's the same mm-hmm. mindset. Like maybe the parent and the kid, you're modeling a certain behavior mm-hmm. because I hear it too with um, our nourish clients. Well, I can't, I can't do that. Well, I believe that you can do that if you want to do that, and then you can talk to your, you know, kids and re-educate them. It's never too late to begin again or to learn something new. And so, and especially kids, I mean, there's, they won't even remember the days of the chicken nuggets and the mac and cheese every night, you know, that you're teaching them as you go and you can always learn something and re, I mean, I used to really dislike things like olives or anything savory. Actually, I was such a sweet tooth person. And now, and I really liked, you know, milk chocolate and sweet, sweet things. And now my palate is completely changed. Now I can, you know, have a strawberry and be like, oh, so, so sweet or delicious or really dark chocolate is sweet enough for me. So I think there's always, 
they're they're if you believe that it's never going to change it will never change but if you believe that there's another option or another way or and that's what you want to you know offer yourself or your family I think it's totally possible and you have to be motivated by something as as you as the adult and the parent you have I mean I have this a similar thing where I did not like mushrooms up until three years ago and then I learned in school about how beneficial they are and I guess what I learned to like them in one day and now I eat them all the time I mean so how motivated are you and then are you modeling that to your kids and and I've worked with I've already worked with a handful of clients that that the main problem I see in people getting better or, or whatever their goal is, losing five pounds or um, is their inability to diversify their diet. So it's mostly people saying, I don't like that. I just really don't like tea. I can't, I'll, I'll suggest, why don't you, why don't you try this green tea? It actually has lots of antioxidants and I don't like tea, you know, or um, so it's usually people like that that are the ones having, you know, have these barriers to getting better the fixed limits. mindset. The fixed mindset. Exactly. Yeah. So I agree with that. 100%. What would be the number one thing you would recommend to people to improve that they could do that would improve their nutrition? That's a big question. Number yeah, one, I guess. that is. Nutrition or just total wellness? Total wellness. Let's talk total wellness. Oh, man. I just made it harder on myself. <laughs> <laughs> or nutrition. Whatever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> nutrition would be to, to diversify the diet, to just try all new things because, you know, we need, there are like seven or eight different kinds of fibers that we need. And there's one fiber you can only get from mushrooms. And there's one particular fiber that we need in our gut microbiome you can only get from mushrooms and like cricket exoskeleton, I learned. So no one's going to eat the cricket probably. I mean, although you do hear about people in other countries eating crickets and stuff, but so yeah, eat a mushroom and then diversify just to make sure your body's getting what it needs. I mean, it's not going to hurt unless you just have a major um, sensitivity to a food, but that's highly unlikely. Um, And then total wellness. I mean, if there's one thing, it's really hard to say one thing, but um, gosh, I don't know right now. You know, I'm, I'm on like this sleep, sleep, you know, protect your sleep. I think because a lot of people don't understand the value of sleeping. And it gives your body a chance to rest and digest, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But there's so many things, but that was, that's what sticks out right now. What's your take on supplements and do people, you know, do you recommend people take vitamins, supplements, or try to get their, their nutritional needs met via food? That's a good question. I always say food first, but there's also situations where um, there is a need for supplements. Um, so my dad's a good example. He's he's trying to you know help his brain, his cognitive function right now, and he's 69 and he he's coming from a place of if he's taken anything, it's been medications for certain things. He wasn't on any you know um, six months ago when he started this new you know, intervention diet lifestyle intervention, but he's had to supplement quite a bit because he's, he has low, he has deficiencies in many nutrients and minerals. But then once he gets to that baseline, I would, I suggest, you know, trying to get it from food. And the reason is because there are some good supplements out there, but there are many, many, many that aren't. Um, And it's hard to figure out what's good and what's not. And, and then another thing is if you've got some kind of gut, 
microbiome thing going on where you're not digesting food. So if you have low stomach acid, for instance, which as you get older, you, you produce less of it. So you need stomach acid to digest, absorb, assimilate nutrients. But if yours is low, which his was, you're not absorbing and you're not breaking down. You know, So if you're just taking supplements, you're still not getting those nutrients. But if you're eating foods and they have cofactors, so let's say you're eating um, vegetables, but they've been sautéed in a good quality butter or a, you know, a coconut oil or a good fat source, you're more able to assimilate those nutrients because it has the fat with the vegetable. So there's those kind of things too that people don't understand. Like you need, that's why people put salad dressing on their salads because you need that good quality. I think about how many, speaking of that, how many salads I ate dry in my fat free stage, which was pretty much my entire, I don't know, teens to mid twenties. I don't know. I don't even yeah. know when I started accepting fat as something that I could, I, it was so inundated. Not, I mean, I would eat a box of snack walls, but mm-hmm. would not put salad dressing <laughs> on my salad. And I just think, I but I think the fat free is still, it's still going strong because yeah. it's hard for us to find mm-hmm. whole fat yogurt, even at I the know. store, I everything's fat free. And there's still all this like fake sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I imagine that I think that has evolved and I bet it will continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. That's, That's crazy. How did you study that in school about how the whole fat free thing came to be? Yeah. Yeah. It's it. So there's a long story behind it, but the gist of it is that um, in the fifties, most of it you can attribute to one man. Actually, he was a, he was a man by the name of Ansel Keys. He was a biologist and a pathologist and he worked at the university of Minnesota and did a lot of research on food and diet. And he, he came up with this, it, it was called the diet heart hypothesis. And, and he somehow convinced everybody and very, very many influential people that saturated fat in the diet caused cholesterol in the blood to be high, which caused heart disease. And, um, Basically, he convinced Dr. Something White, who was the doctor to President Eisenhower at the time, who had a heart attack, and they were trying to figure out what went on, you know, how had this heart attack happen? And this doctor became friends with Ansel Keys. This doctor was also one of the founding members of the American Heart Association and the National Heart Institute. And Ansel Keys somehow convinced him that saturated fat caused heart, heart disease. I mean, and there are a lot of details around it. He went and did a study called the seven country study Ansel Keys did and where he picked certain countries to study, but it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's inconclusive. Cause when you look back at the details of the studies, he picked one, one group of people, they were, it was during like Lent where they were fasting from certain foods and it's just, but all it takes is one, you know, this guy, they've described him as like a, you know, very charismatic um, politician type guy where he was able to convince people that this was a deal. Well, then they figured out later that many years later that, um, yeah, saturated fat might cause the serum cholesterol to go up a little bit. But now they know that your total cholesterol number being high doesn't really mean heart disease necessarily. There are a lot of factors like to look at when you're looking at heart disease and um, cardiovascular issues. So yeah, that, that kind of, 
you know, set off the whole low fat, fat free. And then by the way, President Eisenhower was a chain smoker and he, you know, <laughs> and they didn't, you know, so he wasn't eating, you know, grass fed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fat. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, what I wrote all these notes on Ansel Keys, but basically that was the gist of it. Um, and then, you know, the statin drug thing came out where that satin drugs help to lower your LDL cholesterol, which is supposedly the bad cholesterol. Um, and then so the statin drug industry is now like three, $4 billion industry, you know? And so, and the statin drugs are really not good for you and yeah. they cause cognitive issues. And Yeah. Or people take the drug and don't change the lifestyle. Right. So it's like, so many again, holistically look at the, what, what's the root, root cause? Yeah, what's the root cause? I mean, people don't want to, they don't want to do it. So. Yeah. Lindsay, what's next for you in your nutritional journey? Well, I am fresh out of school, but I, you know, I'm trying to figure out what direction to take because I'm, I'm really interested in gut health. I'm interested in women's health. So, you know, so many of my peers, friends, family members, a lot who have had children um, have you know, come to me and said, you know, something's off. I'm trying to figure it out. You know, we're all trying to figure it out. Um, and so, you know, women who sometimes are doing a lot or are always doing a lot in their household need to feel well, you know, to be able to be there for themselves and for everyone else, you know, their kids or their spouse or whatever. Um, so, you know, I am passionate about women feeling great, perimenopause, menopause, you know, even young women who are just trying to figure out the food thing in college. And, um, so yeah, I'm interested in that. Maybe doing some one-on-one, um, consulting, or I will be starting off doing some one-on-one consulting, like health coaching and consulting. And then I really am passionate about helping bridge that gap between conventional medicine and holistic medicine, because right now I think for anyone to really get well, they probably need both. Like someone's you know, really dealing with a serious disease or issue, they, they might need, they probably do need conventional medicine doctors, and they also need this root, root cause approach. And then those people need to be working together. So there's not a lot of that going on, but I think it will in the next, you know, 10 years, we'll be seeing more um, conventional medicine doctors hiring nutritionists and um, maybe even functional medicine people to work with. So, yeah. Wow. I appreciate you sharing your story, your journey. Yeah. Your so much good of, stuff. Yeah. Wealth of info. I know. I'll have you back. About this I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stay definitely. tuned. Lindsay will Stay be tuned. back for part two. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah. No it's problem. good to see you girls again. So. Good. Take care. You too. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinestudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.